So next Saturday, we need some people to help um, pack up Mary's stuff into a U-Haul. So uh, next Saturday, the 29th, we're going to be meeting over at her trailer and loading her up to send her off. So if you can do that, see her or see Bunny Linker so we know that you can help. I think we... Uh I guess he might be gone. David Helton. Is he gone? No, there he is. David, stand up. He has joined an elite club. His wife is going to, and David and his wife are going to have a baby. So we need to add them to the prayer list with the five other babies that are expecting. And, you know... I guess we need to get uh, the Bollinger baby born and so we can sort of kind of reduce that number and add the next one to the list. Becky was even asking me this morning that I want another baby. I said, well, that'd be just weird if if we were to have a baby, it would be after our grandbaby. Something wouldn't be right about that. <laughs> so I, we figured we'd just stick with grandbabies and all your babies. So we're excited about that. And let's just keep all the pregnant ladies uh, in prayer. Um, you know, Sarah and Angel and Amy Squires and Mary Magusu and Heather Wicker, Brandy Helton. Who, who am I missing? Who? Ashley, that's right. Ashley Faldo. Mary Faldo's daughter in law. She's having a baby. So, this is baby world. Baby world. So be careful. <laughs> yes, the water. That's what it is. I know about that. It's got to be the water. But Andy said he felt sorry for me this morning having to preach with all the Lord doing. So I don't feel sorry for me. Too bad. But I had somebody tell me this week, man, what happened to you? This is just funny. I mean, what happened to you? You used to be such a good preacher. <laughs> you used to be being the operative term. I said, I don't know what happened to me, Drew. I didn't know. went downhill. But anyways, um, I'm going to read this scripture to you. Um, got it up there. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard His voice, which came from heaven, when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And uh, this week we had, uh, at Christ School of Ministry, we had Pastor Noah Manika come and, and talk about uh, the topic was the world in which we live. And it was a very uh, disturbing talk to say the least, uh, for me personally. I was very disturbed and very challenged in a good way about the world in which we live. He has a very, uh, much broader view of the world and the political things that are happening in the world and things that are happening. And I wish all of you could have heard that talk because it was challenging as a Christian. And I went away very challenged from the Lord that I need to lift my vision higher, much higher than, than what I currently I'm walking in in terms of 
what Christ is doing in the world. So I really begin, and, and one of the questions was, was posed to him, well, what can we do about all this? What can we do about these things? And I'm not going to try to tell you about what the things that he talked about because it's much, you know, um, but there's a threat, threat in the world to, uh, you know, to the gospel, which there always been. And so I wanted to just talk about that just briefly this morning. Um, I wanted to uh, sort of garner this out of one of the introductions in my Bible. It's not quite an exact quote. I had to sort of change it a little bit, but it's basically what they were saying. Uh, I wanted to read it to you. First and Second Peter were written in response to the news of growing opposition to believers in Asia Minor. Opposition from the outside and within. First Peter basically deals with opposition from the outside. Second Peter deals with opposition from within the church. Hostility and suspicion were mounting against Christianity in the Roman Empire. And Christians were being reviled and abused for their lifestyles and subversive talk about another kingdom. Christianity had not yet received the official Roman ban, but the stage was being set for persecution and martyrdom of the near future, which historically happened. And so that's why Peter wrote the letter, uh, because Peter foresaw, through present circumstances and through prophetic vision, what was coming for the church. Uh, and, in, and it was in this context that Peter brings out the Mount of Transfiguration experience. And he had never brought that out and publicly, as far as we know. He was never recorded. He never talked about it because Jesus told him not to. And evidently, he came to a point where he was really released to, to discuss what happened. Now, I wanted to, to go and read Matthew 17, verse 1 through 3, the Mount of Transfiguration experience. It says, Now after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. So that's sort of the beginning of what happened on that mountain. And um, I've studied uh, you know, the Lord's life when he was on this earth. And you, you know, I'm pretty fascinated by that, about the Gospels and about what was happening with Jesus. And if you go and study Jesus' life, this Mount of Transfiguration experience was what I termed to be the crescendo of His earthly ministry. This was like the peak. And if you, let me explain that to you. If, if you, you can break Jesus' ministry down in, into three years. He was here for three years. And the first year was what like the years of growing, curious acceptance of Jesus. He was sort of novel at that time. He was doing miracles. He was helping people. A lot of tremendous walking on the water, the feeding of many people. That happened in the first years, first 18 months of his ministry. You know, there was overlap there, of course. And there was an acceptance of him. And he became very popular, had large crowds following him, just huge crowds following him. But then, you know, things started getting a little dicey for him. He started preaching some some difficult stuff, you know, John 6, about eating his flesh. And, and there began to be a growing opposition to Jesus. And the Pharisees, the people in charge and the scribes uh, in, in Matthew 12, which was sometimes in the second year of his ministry, they officially came against Jesus, officially came against him and said he was of the devil. He was, you know, he, was, he became, you know, 
And from that point, things started becoming a little more and more difficult for Jesus uh, leading up to this situation on the Mount of Transfiguration. So that was sort of the crescendo. Everything sort of led up to that. And then after that, you know, it really was a very difficult time for Jesus. That Mount of Transfiguration experience happened at the end of the second year of his, His ministry. And from that point on, it was absolute war with Jesus. I mean, there was places he could not go publicly. There was absolute opposition against him. And his whole ministry at that point shifted from, you know, from what was really happening. His ministry started, his miracles started diminishing. He did less, he did miracles after that, but they, they diminished. Because Jesus at that point shifted gears. Everything changed. I mean, he had gone, at that point he had gone to the furthest you know, went out as far as he was going geographically. I mean, it was like there was a transition that happened. And he began from that point to really talk to his disciples real openly about the cross and about what lay ahead of him. And the atmosphere around Jesus, I'm sure, became like a charged atmosphere because he was under heavy opposition and difficulties. And, and you know, and he kept talking about the cross. He kept talking about dying. He kept talking about suffering. And so you see what I'm trying to get you to see is in, in, in this sort of, of atmosphere, this is when Jesus did the Mount of Transfiguration. That thing is what really set the pace for this difficult situation. And so Peter, when he is trying to address the difficulties of the world, you know, and what is the answer for this world we live in, this opposition that we're in as Christians, this world is against us, Peter brings out the Mount of Transfiguration. It's like that's got to be some sort of spiritual, you know, clue to these things. And I believe, I personally believe embedded in that Mount of Transfiguration experience is a message for us. It's something for us to grab a hold to, to answer the question when you learn about what's really happening in the world today. Uh, that there is answers in the Mount of Transfiguration experience for us as Christians that we can answer the world. We'll have an answer for what's happening. We'll have an answer for the opposition. We'll have an answer for all the terrible things that lay, lay ahead of us, you know, for Christianity. And, when, and there are some, some things that lay ahead. So are you with me thus far? All right. Uh, you know, the Mount of Transfiguration is, is mentioned in, in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, so I'm picking and choosing. So this is... Uh, the Mark, I'm going to pull, pull something from the Mark, you know, how he described it. Now, now, I believe this is how you understand the Mount of Transfiguration. I think you can, this is one of those, you know, context things. The Mount of Transfiguration experience happened, and then something happened right after that. Okay, an event happened, which, when you really think about it, really sort of explains the Mount of Transfiguration and answers some of the questions. So, in Mark 9, it says, When he came to his disciples, he came down from the mountain, and he went to his disciples. He saw a great, great multitude around them, and the scribes disputing with them. And immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, greeted him. And he asked, he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So that's what happened right after the Mount of Transfiguration experience. Jesus comes down the mountain, big uproar, there's this chaotic situation. You know, nine of his disciples are down there trying to cast this demon out of this kid. They can't do it. 
you know. The daddy's all upset. The, the scribes who were the religious people, they were there probably, you know, it says they're arguing. They were probably toning the disciples because of their situation. So obviously those things are pictures that God wants us to see. They're pictures. And really one of the pictures is it pictures the world. That really pictures the world there. The world is being driven by a demonic force. There's a demonic force that's driving the world. The world is being driven, just like this child, it was being driven towards destruction. And I believe we can see that that's a picture of what the Lord was really wanting us to see, that we live in a world that's being driven by a demonic force and it's being driven down slowly, 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 down, driven to destruction. That's one of the pictures. It's a chaotic world. And, and that's sort of the world we live in. It, it is a dri- dri- demon-driven society that here we are right in the middle of that's driven by demons and the world can't do with they can't deal with it they don't know what to do they can't handle these demons they can't overcome these demons and so that's a picture of the world and then there's also the picture I think from that you can get of the church you have the church wrestling with this situation in the world wrestling with what to do you know what, and I'm going to tell you something. This is true about the church. As bad as the church is, I think most, if you get around a lot of, you know, church leaders and pastors, most of them really are wrestling with the church's lack of effectiveness. Why aren't we effective? And we're, you know, looking for answers. Why couldn't we cast that demon out of that guy, Jesus? The church really is, I want to say this as a positive thing about the church, that this pictures, the church is looking for answers. We see a lot of things happening in the body of Christ today, a lot of different expressions of the church. It's a search. The church is searching. It's searching for an answer. It's searching for, you know, what do we have to offer this world? We're faced something that we're not even being able to deal with. We're facing forces that are bigger than us and stronger than us. And we see a church in this picture here of these nine disciples who happen to not get to go up there. They're down there trying to deal with this thing, and they're not dealing with it. And that's sort of the way we feel sometimes. Jesus is up there on the mountain somewhere in glory. And there's a few people around Him. But the majority of us are facing something that's bigger than us and stronger than us. And we're saying, why can't we deal with these demons? Why can't we stop the destruction? Why do we see our nation going down? Why can't? Why have we not been able to stop abortion? Why have, why have we allowed things to come into our nation? And not just our nation, because we live in a pretty good nation, relatively speaking. You know, if you hear Pastor Noah talk about what's really going on in the whole world, it's like, ugh, Lord, help us. We're in trouble. That's the way I thought. We're in trouble. We're in trouble, Lord. What are we going to do? There has to be an answer. And those are pictures, pictures of a confusion, pictures of the world toning, like, you know, why can't you, why are you powerless? You know, and that's sort of a picture. That's really what I believe the Lord wanted us to see, you know, in this picture of what happened for us to see ourselves in and find ourselves in. And I guarantee you, every one of you in this room are facing situations, circumstances in your life that you can't deal with, you can't seem to get the answer to. The things that are, are stronger than you, and you somehow, Lord, why have this thing kept continued? Where's the answer to it? You know, and I, honestly, also, I would say this about, about that. The nine tried. You know, the nine disciples. We tried to cast him out. We tried, Lord. We tried. What's wrong with us? And that's a picture of us. It's a good, we've made the effort. But we're like the nine in many ways. 
Now, every once in a while, but too many times, we don't see people healed. Too many times, our prayers go unanswered. Too many times. Wouldn't you agree? Too many times we're looking at our world and saying, we need to get the right people in office so they can do something about it. And ultimately, that's not the best answer. We're the answer. I mean, we need to get the right people in office to do stuff about it. But really, they can only do so much. The president can only do so much. They're not our hope. The Lord's our hope. Yet, why are we failing? Why have we failed you, Lord? Why have we failed you? You know, those are questions. They're hard questions. Those are questions that I felt the other night when Noah was sharing about the world we live in. Lord, what are we going to do? You know, Noah is a guy who's very educated and he comes from a family of diplomats. His daddy was an ambassador. So he knows stuff that I don't know. That's why he came and taught it. I couldn't teach it. I looked. I thought, man, I can't teach this stuff. I don't know. I can give him a parrot. What he said. Who wants to hear a parrot? You know. So you know, the Lord provided him to come and talk to us. Talk to us about stuff that we in the church many times do not think about. And maybe when we do think about, it, we think, well, maybe we have this political agenda. But no, I don't think that's the answer. I mean, I think there's people who are supposed to do that. But what am I supposed to do, Lord? So I feel like the Lord showed me a few things. You know, I wanted to share with you. Just a few. You want to hear them? Yeah. Uh, I'll just share them with you right quick. Like First one, I feel like the Lord showed me this a long time ago, and I just understood it this week. This was back up there on the mountains after Jesus had quit being transfigured. His glory quit showing, and He came back to being normal again. Disciples lifted up their eyes, it says in verse 8 of Matthew 17, and they saw no one but Jesus only. And years ago, the Lord spoke to me and said, that's the key to, to that, is seeing no one but Jesus only. He's the only one. You know, that's a key to what you've got to see here. And, I, and that's, I'm, to be honest with you, that's where I'm really going with this thing. Uh, it says uh, in Matthew 17, verse 6, later, these same guys who couldn't cast the demons out, these same guys who failed, something happened in their lives. There was a change in life. It says, this is what their testimony about these guys were. And this is talking about all the disciples of the Lord. Really. I mean, there were specific ones they're talking about here. But really, looking back in history, all those who were around Jesus, all those nine who failed, wherever they went, they did this. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. That was the testimony of these men. They turned the world upside down. In other words, when these guys came to town, something happened. The apple cart was upset. God came with them. God did stuff with them. And God just didn't come in and blow in and blow out. God came and things changed. Lives changed. People changed. Governments changed. Whole cities came together. People burned books worth thousands and thousands of dollars. You know, witchcraft books. People gave up things because God came. And God moved. These were the same kind of guys who were like, we can't even cast this demon out of this guy. You know, something happened to them. And it's something, if you look in the Bible of all the people, in the Bible who had an impact, they were people who saw the Lord, who had an had a encounter with the Lord, 
who the Lord revealed himself into them in some way. You know, start back with, with Abraham. You know, Moses, Nehemiah. The Apostle Paul spent his whole ministry telling people this. I was knocked off on a horse. I was blinded by a light. God talked to me. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. His life was impacted. His life was changed, and he impacted people. He had his experience with God, and he lived on that experience, and he stood on that experience. He didn't stand on his learning, his theology. But you know what he said about it? It's garbage. That's what he said. All this stuff I know is nothing compared to knowing him and seeing him. That was the thing that made Paul effective, is that Paul had an encounter with the Lord that was real and dynamic, and it affected his life. Peter had an encounter with the Lord. And when people were in trouble, hey, pal, listen, this is what's fixing to happen. There's hard times coming. Persecution's coming. They're going to kill you. Let me tell you what you need to know. You need to know about Him. You need to see Him, because that's the thing that's going to get you through it. That's the thing that got Peter through it, according to history. Everybody knows he's been just crucified upside down. Now, this is one thing I feel like the Lord said to me about you and about me. He was saying, don't go in there and tell those people that they need to have a Damascus Road experience where they get knocked off the horse or they can expect to be on some mountain and Jesus appears to them in glorious. Not that he couldn't, but most people do not have the faith for that. Most people reject it. Like, well, you know, that's great. That was the apostles. That was this. That was that. But Paul, the Apostle Paul did this. He prayed in Ephesians that the eyes of your understanding would be open and that you would see something. Now, he prayed that for all Christians, that we would be able to see beyond the veil. We would be able to see something spiritual. And what he was saying to the Ephesians when he prayed that, who were Christians who had experienced this mighty move of God, you have got to see something spiritual or you won't make it. You'll be a lukewarm, lethargic Christian. That's what he was saying. This is the thing that's going to move you is seeing the Lord, is beholding the Lord. That's the thing that's going to change your life. That's the thing that will cause you to give up everything and die for Him if, if need be. To give all up your earthly goods. Give your time up. I think that's, that's something that's really important. Um, this is another thing I thought was important. In verse 3 of, of chapter 17 of Matthew, it says, Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Um, you know, everybody knows that Moses and Elijah represents the law and prophets. That's, you know, the common interpretation, which is right. You know, that's, that's right on. But I thought it was something else. If you, Moses and Elijah, both of them had one thing in common, is both of them left an unfinished work. Bugs in the computer. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> You got that, an unfinished work. Moses left Joshua to finish it. Elijah left Elisha to finish it. Now, I think that, to me, that was spoke to me. In other words, God left an unfinished work. He left an unfinished work to the church. You know, the church, that's our, he, we have a job. He wants us to see this job. He wants us to know that there's something unfinished in his business. You know, which I think is real significant, uh, you know, when you ask the question, what can I do? Well, I have a job to do. You have a job to do. And that is, you know, to, to finish the work that Christ started. Everybody knows that. Uh, I remember years ago, um, 
when I was at sort of a discouraged point in my life about my ministry and my calling, I was up in Philadelphia in this Holiday Inn up there in the middle of dead winter, working up there, sitting in this room, just bewildered with my life and the calling I felt like God had on me and how nothing was working, everything was going wrong and I was failing at every front and just was totally discouraged about my, my calling because I knew I'd been called. I had experienced things with the Lord, but nothing was working and, and just crying out to the Lord, Lord, you know, what in the world is wrong with me? Here I am stuck up here with all these Yankees and it's cold. <laughs> Not really. I just said that for the Yankees. Actually, the Lord was helping me get used to Yankees, preparing me for Yankees. Now, the real question is, are you prepared for me? <laughs> That's the real question. I got prepared for you. Yeah, it is definitely unfinished. A friend of mine was telling me about this famous preacher one time who was very effective in his ministry, but he was from Texas, had crooked teeth, and he was on television and preached with a real Texas drawl and this powerful ministry. Said he didn't see him for a while. He turned his TV one day. Here's this guy. He had a haircut. He was slicked up. His teeth were straight. He talked eloquently. And he said, but there was only one problem. His anointing was gone. You know, because I was be, I was saying, man, I can't, I can't preach. Listen to the way I talk. <laughs> and he told me that story. Don't ever try to change it. Just do what you are. Because that guy's ministry went down the tubes after he tried to be something else. So I thought, well, I'm just going to do that. So, sorry. Anyways, the Lord gave me this verse, 2 Corinthians 4.1. He just said, read that. That's, it came to my mind. When I was in a, a moment of despair in my life, and it says, therefore, since we have this ministry, and that was really comforting to me, that God was saying, Byron, you have a ministry. You have it. As we have, you've received mercy. So don't lose heart. That's what he was saying. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. And I want to say one thing. There's a key word in there, we. That's for all of us, we. Paul wrote this. He wasn't just saying, therefore I have this ministry. I don't give up. He said, no, we, all of us, have a ministry. We can't give up. And thing, that's one of the things that happens with us is we tend to lose heart in our lives. We lose heart about things. We sort of give up on things when they don't really work out. In fact, Paul goes on, and this is, he addresses this thing. And at the end of this very chapter, he addresses it. Therefore, we do not lose heart. He talks about a bunch of stuff in there. Even though our outward man is perishing, that's the difficulty, that's the trials, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And then he talks about, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. While, now listen, this is the key, back to what I just said, while we do not look at the things which are seen. That's what Paul was saying. You can't look at the hour, you can't judge it by circumstances. But the things which are not seen, that was Paul's answer for not giving up and not growing weary and not despairing in, their, in your walk with God, your calling with God. is seeing something that's invisible. Seeing something that's not apparent. That's the key. It's a hard key, but it's the key. You've got to bear to see spiritually. You've got to bear to see invisible things. What a crazy thing you think. What in the world? You're asking me to see something invisible. Yes. You've got to see the invisible or you'll be crushed by the world. For why would you look at things which are seen but at things which are not seen? For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And Paul was saying, we've got to be able to see eternal things. That is what is going to make the difference for you. 
that's what's going to keep you in there on the long haul. It's being able to see something nobody else around you sees. Why don't you give up? I saw the Lord. I heard God speak to me. That's why I didn't give up. That's why I kept going when everybody else around me got messed up. I was able to keep going because I had an encounter with Him. And I was able to keep pressing through. And that's what He did. Through jail, through beatings, through shipwrecks, through all these things. How could a man do that? He saw something. He heard something. And it changed his life. I think we've got to have that kind of, you know, thinking in the church. I think, you know, that's one of the answers to the question. What can we do? Uh, you know, we don't want to perish for lack of true spiritual vision. And if we don't have true spiritual vision, we will perish along the way. We may we go to heaven still, but we may give up in the fight. We may quit on the road and park and stop like some of you have done because you've lost that thing. It's your circumstances that are driving you instead of seeing something greater. That's the answer for the church is to see the Lord. See what He's saying. That's our answer. That is our answer. Because if He walked in here in some way and revealed Himself to us, we would just fall on our faces and weep before Him and kiss His feet. And we'd walk away different. Not that we had an ex- just an experience. Our lives would be changed. Something would be in us that drove us and kept us going no matter what. That's what we lack. That's why so many love to grow cold. Because they like that thing. They like it. And that's why the world is closing in on us. Because we don't have the answer for them. We don't have the answer. We really do, but we don't, we're not aware of it. So we're just as overcome by the chaos and by the troubles in the world as they are. It's overcoming us. It's getting us. And if we would see the Lord in a new, fresh way. I heard this guy, Austin Sparks, who was a great preacher back in the, his testimony. He said he called to preach and spent years, you know, with a preacher and studied the Bible for hours and days on end, you know, to be able to preach and then he had this experience, he said, with the Lord. He said, I'm going to tell you, I didn't, I didn't see, this is what I didn't see. I didn't see the church. I didn't see serving God. I didn't see going on mission trips. I didn't see any of that stuff. I saw the Lord. And my life changed. Then I saw the church. Then I saw mission trips. Then I saw serving God. And he said, this, guess what? I don't ever have to work for a message. I don't, God, I got messages all the time. They're just flowing out of me. I have to restrain myself. That was his testimony after he saw the Lord. God did something in his life. And, you know, one of the great preachers in the 50s and 60s, you know, in England, he's not probably real, real known amongst Christians today, but he was a powerful preacher. You know, powerful preacher. When he spoke, he knew God. He had been in the presence of the Lord. You really do. Uh, here's another thing right here. This is Luke's thing. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took, this is Luke talking about, he took Peter, James, and John and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately, Matthew 17, 19 through 21. Why couldn't we cast it out? So Jesus said, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And this is one thing I feel like the Lord's doing in my life. You know, and I was telling Betty this. She was asking me a couple of weeks ago, what's the, the one thing you think that we need? I said, the one thing we need is prayer. We need to be praying. 
right now. That's really what we need to do. But here's the thing. We are praying, you may say. We are praying for the sick. We are praying that God move. But see, there's something abstract about our prayers in a way. You know what I mean? There's, there's something, there's a gap between our prayers. I mean, I feel, Lord, what is wrong with my praying? You're not answering me, Lord. Why do I pray for people and they stay the same? Why do I pray for the church and they stay the same? Something's abstract. You have teachings on prayer, but that doesn't live. It doesn't work. It's frustrating. And the Lord was saying to me, it's abstract because you've got to pray that you would see me. You've got to pray that you would get me into the situation. That's the prayer you need to be praying. Crying out to me, God, open my eyes. So I could see you, so I could say, I could see God into this thing. And when He gets in it, things are going to change. That's the prayer. It's not just your normal prayers that God wants us to pray. Now, we need to pray, God, please open our eyes and let us see. Please set us on fire, God. Please let us see you so we can get you. That's what the world needs. If we could just get you into the world. Because that's what happened. Jesus went down there. They got Jesus into that situation. Guess what? The demon got cast out immediately. When he got there, and that's the way the church is today. We're like those nine people. We can't get the demons out. But if we could get him there, things would change. If we could get him, Lord, if we could just get you at the youth meeting. If we could get you at the youth meeting, what would happen? You know? That's what we need for the youth in America. That's what we need for the youth in the church. Lord, if we could just get you in the children's ministry. That's what, you know, that's what we need. You wouldn't, daggone, if we, if we found out Jesus was back there, guess what? We'd be asking for volunteers to come in here. <laughs> hey, y'all, we need some volunteers to sit in here, you know, so we can do church in here while y'all back there with Jesus, you know? <laughs> that would change everything, you know? And that's the kind of praying the Lord wants us to do. I mean, honestly, He really does. He doesn't want us to have an abstract praying. Nothing happens. We pray, but nothing happens. He really wants us to be able to pray Him in. And I think we have to start with ourselves, honestly. And then, you know, of course, the last thing is the, you know, prayer of faith. Um, It's because He said, hey, if you had faith, man, you know, you could throw that demon, you know, you could say, I'm going to move mountains around. You know? And, uh, but it said, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased to hear him. You know, that faith is a gift from God. It happens when we hear the Lord. Why was, you know, why was Paul able to do what he did? Because he heard the Lord speak to him. He had faith for it. You know, when you have faith, things, you can do it. And that's why. And, but see, he didn't have to generate faith. We feel like we've got to generate faith. We don't have to generate faith. That's not the Bible. The Bible says faith is a gift from God. He gives it to us. He releases it to us. When we hear Him, when we experience Him, our faith is quickened and energized. And we can do what we need to do at that point instead of having to beat ourselves up. You know, because I don't think Jesus was beating those guys up. I think He was just telling them, this is your state. You ain't got any faith. It ain't going to work. It's just the bottom line. But later they had faith. Later it worked. Because they heard God. They saw God. Something happened to them. Their eyes were opened. The veil was removed. And they truly saw the Lord. And they truly had faith to be able to do the things that God had called them to do. So, you know, 
All I know, this is sort of a, Lord, here's what we need for you to do. Right, I got this prayer. For our church. Listen, send us people who really had an experience with you. They could come and talk to us. Come and influence us. That would really, I mean, they would come and they would just mess with us because they had been and seen you. But Lord, please don't stop there. Please don't let, well, we just got to get somebody. Do it with us. You know, do it with us, Lord. Let us have that experience. Let us see you. Let us behold you. Instead of just having to go get somebody who has, you know, we don't want to just get the three up there. We want you to come and reveal yourself to us. There's the answer. I mean, you know, things will happen then. You know, and that really should be our prayer. I mean, that's out of everything I said to you. After, you know, Pastor Noah, you know, Lord, what can I do? That's why I was thinking, what can I do about all these, you know, Islam and, you know, moving in and planted in this nation are going to rise up one day and all the political world. How can I do, Lord? I'm just some little guy. You know? But if I had an experience with the Lord, you know, I could be like one of those guys. Because that's what made the difference between us, me, and them. They, they saw the Lord. And you know what? And all the church's wrestling and all the church's solution to problems and what we try to do is really the bottom line is we need to have a Mount of Transfiguration experience however that is. And I think once we have that, then we're going to have the things we need to do what we need to do. And that really should be our prayer. That sh- because that is our calling. God has called us to go down there in that demon-possessed world and do something about it. In fact, He wants us to bring the demon-possessed world in here and do something about it too, you know. And we need to be able to do that, but better if you know how to deal with it, especially when you start bringing it into your own house, you want to be able to be in a place where you can deal with it, you know, because demons are difficult. Amen? So, Lord, uh, we just want to pray to you this morning and ask you, we want to, I'm, Lord, this is the truth. For me, I don't want to just come out here and talk about this stuff. That's, that is being abstract, Lord. There's a gap there, Lord. We, we, and I pray for these people in this room right now. I pray this day, well, we just heard a message. We need that, but nothing happens with us. Father, we are asking you sincerely, send us men and women who have really experienced you. Send them to us. Send them in our midst, Lord. But, Lord, we ask you not to stop there. We ask you to send your fire into our lives. We want to experience you, Lord. We want to experience your presence in a way that we dramatically change us and then after that Lord we could bring your presence into situations that we face Lord and our lives would be changed Father Lord we're asking you for that this morning we would really ask you to do that Lord all that we ask Lord we ask you to do that Amen I'm going to do a song this Good.
I, I've told Jim Hill over, over and over, man, missionaries are weird. Get around a bunch of missionaries. These are some weird people. But I, was around, I was sitting with a bunch of pastors here. I thought, man, these are the weirdest bunch of people I've ever been in my life. In past. But here's a prayer. Let me pray this prayer. It looks like a good one. Lord, we just ask you to come, Holy Spirit, just as Elijah prayed for Gehazi, that his eyes be opened in 2 Kings 6. I pray, O Lord, open our eyes that we might see in the realm of the Spirit, that we might see the ministry of angels, that the scales will be removed from our eyes. Father, open our eyes so that we can see what you are doing. Open our eyes that we can see the things from your perspective. Man, isn't that wonderful? We can see things from your perspective, Lord. Lord, open our eyes so that we can come to a place of higher revelation. God, I pray you would open our eyes to the realm of the unseen, that which is not seen by the natural eyes. I pray that the eyes of our spirit would be open and that our eyes would be enlightened. I pray that we will have more visions, more dreams, more revelations, and more supernatural encounters with you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Lord, we say yes to that, Lord. Yes to all of it, Jesus. May it be so, Father. May it be so, Lord. In your name, Lord. Not that we... Here's the thing the Lord was saying to me. Don't do this stuff just to have a good church service. Do it to change the world around you. Because that's what they did in the Bible. They had a good church service, but they changed the world. Something came on the outside and hit them and became a part of them. Let's have that our church, that it, we would be impacted by God's coming and visiting us, but we would go out and change our worlds. Amen? Are y'all going to do a song now? You ready? We'll end on this song today. And Lord bless you.